Hi, this is Sandy, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, and welcome, church. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your Sunday sermon. We are so glad you're here today. It is Sunday, March 12th. We're counting down the days to one of my favorite times of the year, Easter. It's a time each year that we as believers come together specifically to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, don't we celebrate those events every Sunday? Indeed, we do. So I thought it would be fitting for us to spend the next few weeks looking intently at one very significant aspect of Jesus' character, which is quite literally the hallmark of his life, and it can be summed up in one word, and that is passion. In fact, that's the title of this new sermon series, Passion. It wasn't the nails. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sin that we ourselves could not pay. When this happened, many of those standing around the cross believed it was the nails that held him there, but it was more than that. Over these next weeks, we're going to find that it was Jesus' passion for humanity that really held him on the cross, and we'll unpack several key aspects of Jesus' passion that will bring us to and including Palm Sunday. Jesus loved others, and his instruction to those early disciples was for them to love others as well. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. And even as he was giving this instruction, they were still following, learning, and watching Jesus for the way that he loved others. And through this series, we're going to do the same thing. Just like the early disciples, we're going to learn from Jesus how to love others. We'll also talk about Jesus' motivation and mission. We'll talk about what kept him engaged through the difficulty of his mission. And we'll answer the question, why did Jesus trade his life for ours? I'll tell you more in a moment, but right now, join me in an opening word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for this amazing beginning to a journey that is going to bring us to really the center point of our lives as Christians, the Easter Resurrection Sunday celebration, the death, burial, and resurrection of you. God, we're so blessed to be able to talk about this, teach us about your passion, give us greater insight into what really held you there on the cross. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God so loved the entire world, beloved, and he didn't want to condemn it. So he sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. God's motivation to send Jesus was fueled by love. That's the title of our sermon today. And Jesus' ministry here on earth, all the way up to his death on the cross, was fueled by that same unconditional and all-powerful love. So let's talk about it. Open your Bible or Bible app to one of the most well-known verses of all time, John 3.16. I'll be reading from the ESV version. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Today I want us to focus on the beginning part of that verse, the first half, if you will, because in it Jesus makes two crucial statements that have implications for us. So let's take a look. The first statement is this, God so loved the world. Do you see that? First, let me give you the context for this verse. In this chapter 3 of John's Gospel, we read the account of a Pharisee named Nicodemus, 
who had come to Jesus in the middle of the night. Nicodemus declared that some of the Pharisees recognized Jesus that had been sent by God. It was possible that Nicodemus visited Jesus on behalf of himself and other Pharisees who were wanting to know more about Jesus. Yet in this story, it's apparent that Nicodemus struggled to make sense of what it meant to follow Jesus. His unbelief was apparent in this exchange between him and Jesus. It is in the context of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus that we find verse 16. Jesus himself spoke this verse to Nicodemus and it was filled with powerful truth. This verse declares exactly who Jesus is and the profound impact of putting one's belief in him, belief that he is the Messiah sent by God to save the world. Jesus spoke candidly and openly to Nicodemus when it came to revealing who he was and the eternal impact of the choice to follow him or not. Now, if you were to ask any Christian to describe God, most of them would say something about love. It's clear to see all through the Bible that God is a God of love, compassion, and care. In fact, 1 John 4, 8b tells us that God is love. His very essence is love. Everything he does is with love. Because God is love, he can do nothing without love. What a powerful statement, right? A word for love that John uses in 3.16 is the Greek word agape. Of the four different words in the Greek language for love, this is the one that is willful, pure, and sacrificial. Sound familiar? This is the type of love God has for his people, including you and me. This love fueled God to send his son in the first place. And this is the love that fueled Jesus throughout his ministry. This is the kind of love God wants to pass on to all those who believe in him through Jesus. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. At the time Jesus said these words, to love others as he loved them was revolutionary. Now we're to love others based on Jesus' sacrificial love for them. And that leads us into a conversation about sacrifice. The key to loving people well is often found in sacrifice when we lay aside what we want for others. Are you willing to sacrifice your schedule for someone who needs to chat with you? Are you willing to sacrifice your own desires to align them with God's? Honestly, the list of sacrificial love opportunities is endless. So the first crucial statement we need to recognize in John 3.16 is that God so loved the world. But the next part of the verse tells us how he loved the world so much. And that is, he gave his only son. Verse 16b says, he gave his only son. Now let me tell you a little story about a boy named Bobby. Bobby was getting cold sitting out in his backyard in the snow. Bobby didn't wear boots. He didn't like them. And anyway, he didn't own any. The thin sneakers he wore had a few holes in them, and they did a poor job of keeping out the cold. Bobby had been in his backyard for about an hour already, and try as he might, he could not come up with an idea for his mother's Christmas gift. He shook his head as he thought, this is useless. Even if I do come up with an idea, I don't have any money to spend. Ever since his father passed away three years ago, the family of five had struggled. It wasn't because his mother didn't care. It's just they never seemed to have enough. She worked nights at the hospital, but the small wage she was earning could only be stretched so far. What the family lacked in money and material things, they more than made up for in love and family unity. Bobby had two older sisters and one younger sister who ran the household in their mother's absence. All three of his sisters had already made beautiful gifts for their mother. Somehow it just wasn't fair. 
Here it was Christmas Eve already, and he had nothing. Wiping a tear from his eyes, Bobby kicked the snow and started to walk down the street where the shops and stores were. It wasn't easy being six years old without a father, especially when he needed a man to talk to. Bobby walked from shop to shop, looking into each decorated window. Everything seemed so beautiful and so out of reach. It was starting to get dark and Bobby reluctantly turned to walk home when suddenly his eyes caught the glimmer of the setting sun's rays reflecting off something along the curb. He reached down and discovered a shiny dime. Never before had he felt as wealthy as Bobby did at that moment. As he held his newfound treasure, a warmth spread throughout his entire body, and he walked into the first store he saw. His excitement quickly turned cold when salesperson after salesperson told him that he could not buy anything with only a dime. He saw a flower shop and went inside to wait in line. When the shop owner asked if he could help him, Bobby presented the dime and asked if he could buy one flower for his mother's Christmas gift. The shop owner looked at Bobby with his 10 cent offering. Then he put his hand on Bobby's shoulder and said to him, just wait here, I'll see what I can do for you. As Bobby waited, he looked at the beautiful flowers and even though he was a boy, he could see why mothers and girls like flowers. The sound of the door closing as the last customer left jolted Bobby back to reality. All alone in the shop, Bobby began to feel alone and afraid. Suddenly, the shop owner came out and moved to the counter. There, before Bobby's eyes, lay twelve long-stemmed red roses with leaves of green and tiny white flowers all tied together with a big silver bow. Bobby's heart sank as the owner picked them up and placed them gently into a long white box. That will be ten cents, young man, the shop owner said, reaching out his hand for the dime. Slowly, Bobby moved his hand to give the man his dime. Could this be true? No one else would give him a thing for his dime. Sensing the boy's reluctance, the shop owner added, I just happen to have some roses on sale for ten cents a dozen. Would you like them? This time, Bobby did not hesitate, and when the man placed the long box into his hands, he knew it was true. Walking out the door that the owner was holding for Bobby, he heard the shopkeeper say, Merry Christmas, son. As he returned inside, the shopkeeper's wife walked out. Who were you talking to back there, and where did the roses go that you were fixing? Staring at the window and blinking with tears of his own eyes, he replied, A strange thing happened to me this morning while I was setting things up to open the shop. I thought I heard a voice telling me to set aside a dozen of my best roses for a special gift. I wasn't sure at the time whether I'd lost my mind or what but I set them aside. Just a few minutes ago, a little boy came into the shop and wanted to buy a flower for his mother with just a small dime. Then I looked at him. I saw myself many years ago. I too was a poor boy with nothing to buy my mother for Christmas. A bearded man whom I never knew stopped me on the street and told me that he wanted to give me $10. When I saw that little boy tonight, I knew who that voice was, and I put together a dozen of my best roses. The shop owner and his wife hugged each other tightly. They stepped out into the bitter cold air and somehow didn't feel the cold at all. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he tells many stories to help people understand the arguments he's trying to make. They're frequently called parables. And there's a parable in Matthew 21 that talks about the why behind God the Father sent his son Jesus to earth. Follow along as I read Matthew 21, verses 33 to 42. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country, 
At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the entire estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out in the vineyard, and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he'll do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop for each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? All throughout human history, God has been sending people to deliver his message of salvation and restoration. The landowner in this parable is God. The vineyard is his people, Israel. And the landowner's servants are the prophets and priests who remained faithful to God and preached to Israel. But who are the farmers? They were the Jewish religious leaders, the ones who thought they had it all together, the ones who thought they were without sin. Does that sound familiar? How often do we slip into a similar mindset? Well, my sin isn't as bad as his or her sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we all fall short of God's glorious standard for humanity. Therefore, we needed someone to save us. That's why God sent Jesus. Jesus is the gift that God sent humanity to show just how much he loved us. Jesus is the gift we didn't know we needed, but learned we cannot truly live without. Now that we know that God loves us regardless of where we've been or what we've done, we now know that God has displayed his incredible love for us by sending his own son. But what does that mean for us today? I think God's desire for us in response is utterly clear. Love him back and love others the same way he loves us. We already read in John 13, 34 that Jesus says to do this. He calls it a new commandment. But like many things, we're told to do it with great effort, commitment, and devotion. Now, I know I've struggled with this through the years, and in fact, I still do at times. A number of years ago, I worked with a man who was one of my church leaders. He was very accomplished in his knowledge about church business and quite skilled in that regard as well. He could be really arrogant, though, and just downright rude at times. And if things weren't going the way that he thought they should in the church, then he would get all frumpy and frustrated. It became clear to me early on that he really wanted to be the decision maker and wouldn't be happy until he was. I let myself be intimidated by this man and it caused me to have a lot of stress. And it was really difficult to love him as a brother in Christ. It took a lot of prayer and time to finally get to a point where I was no longer intimidated by this man. I mean, it took several years, folks. Thanks be to God though, that today I can see this man as God's creation. And because of the grace the Lord first showed me, I'm able to be gracious to him today. It can be easy to love friends and family, but what about when that person has wronged you? What about when that person has stolen from you? What about the person who's cheated you? It all seems to come down to how willing we are to show the same amount of grace that we've received. Jesus answers that question in Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Here's what he said when he was asked how often we should show grace to others. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now Jesus' answer didn't mean for his followers or us today to keep count up to 70 times seven. 
he meant that there should be no limit to a believer's willingness to forgive another believer. In other words, forgive, 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 and then when you think you've done it enough, forgive again. That doesn't make sense, does it? It sounds backwards based on the rest of our culture, which tells us more and more to simply walk away from people who hurt us or complicate our lives. We're taught to cancel those people out. But Jesus taught we should be willing to reconcile with them. Jesus taught us that whenever possible, we should make things right with others. As with many other things we learn about the kingdom of heaven, this sounds upside down, difficult, and maybe even impossible. But God loved the entire world, the good, the bad, the rich, the poor, and everyone in between. He was impartial in his love. He was unconditional. And as impossible as it seems, that's what we're called to do as well, beloved. We are called to an unconditional, sacrificial, agape love. You know, loving others is a tough business. So often our love is tied to how we feel or how our wants and needs are being met. And when our feelings change or our wants and needs are no longer being met, then our love changes as well. This is called conditional love. And thankfully, it's not the kind of love that fuels God for his creation. God loves even when it's unreciprocated. God loves when you're nasty, rude, and mean. God loves when he's not getting anything out of the relationship. And this specific love of God is ever ready for us in his son, Jesus. Over these next weeks, we're going to learn more about the love, the passion that fuels Jesus. It's humble, it's perfect, and it's unstoppable. Not even the grave could stop the love of Christ. Not even death could hold him back. Our challenge is to consider how we can love others like Jesus did. Who in our life needs to experience that kind of love? Who needs to be at the upcoming Easter service with you? Who needs to experience a love free of demands, conditions, and rules unlike anything they've ever experienced before? Who needs your forgiveness this week? Who needs your sacrifice this week? As we worship and pray, please take some time to consider these questions. And if you're like me, you'll also need to pray for strength and courage to respond in righteousness. Let's close with a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for setting the example of love for all of us to learn from and follow. Thank you for trading your life so that we might have eternal life. Grant us the courage to be more like you, humble, obedient, and kind, so that we may have the opportunity to share the gospel with others. This we ask in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.